then another sunday another podcast this one's a very special episode as we have our first guest of the new year with us uh a is a mr uh martin keller is with us tonight and i uh, will give you guys a short synopsis of his book here momentarily but uh so that's the big ticket item on the docket tonight is going to be that interview and it's going to be super sick um but yeah, among other things, we have uh, <clears throat> we have the um, the train derailments that have been happening recently, which is very sus and very sketchy. I don't know what's going on with that and why we haven't heard anything about it. And uh, and then uh, yeah, and then we're gonna dive right into uh, to um, our interview with uh, with Martin Keller, which is gonna be super sick so um let's see let me get it on here so martin keller is uh he's a published author he's he's got a book out it is called uh well, actually put the splash on the screen right now so this is our guest tonight so you got martin keller over here kind of by alex it's our guest his book is called the space pen club uh let me see if i can find a brief synopsis all right so <clears throat> here we go so it's not just another UFO book. Rather, it is a rarity among thousands of books and other media, given the author's voice experiences, insights, and insider status. The title stems from the writer's camaraderie with college classmates that comprise the Space Pen Club. 
uh, a mostly tie-dyed collection of self-made merry pranksters who capriciously turned the Fisher Pen Company's advanced line of space pens, the first pen to write in space, into a symbolic icon representing self-exploration, cosmic consciousness, and communication, transcendence, and the occasional quest for beer girls, tunage, and controlled substances. So, we're in for a ride tonight. Written in the colorful, engaging tile that characterized the author's previous writing about popular culture and informed sensibility that underscores his ongoing work in public relations and marketing communications today, the Space Pen Club boldly, boldly challenges the writer's and the reader's idea of linear reality while trying to define, understand, and make contact with what he humorously calls the boys, the boys upstairs without tripping over the many agendas, complexities, and other earthly barriers that stand in the way. Compared to best-selling and other titles in this genre, the book stands on its own as a story within several stories about the pursuit of knowledge into what the phenomena might be, the attempts to make contact, the efforts to bring public disclosure forward, and the lasting impact it had on one man's life. So that's what we have to look forward to tonight with our uh, um, interview with Martin Keller. So we're very excited for that. Uh, but without further ado, we're going to do a little bit of scuffness here, and we're going to welcome Martin yeah. in. And we're gonna get boy, am I excited! Yeah, but we're gonna we're gonna open up. We're gonna start talking about some of these train derailments and some other stuff going on. See what see what's going on. So, uh, everybody, welcome, Mr. Martin Keller, to the podcast. And apparently, we just lost. And him. he kicked him out. Nope, he kicked himself out because he quit. <laughs> Martin, you there? Worst case scenarios, we'll just switch down to the other room. I can see him in the room. Yeah, he's just gonna do the same thing you did. Just click on the uh, the word "live" over there at the top on the top left there, Martin. It should put you in here, at least where we can hear you. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We were just in a room talking to Martin, so we know this works. It's supposed to work anyway. I know. Made this, I think it was thought it was gonna be easier just having our own final server where we could have ease of access for sending links out to our guests, but Got some growing pains. Oh, he's trying to get the camera working. It's okay. Perfect. Let's see what happens. Make sure your settings are set to non invents allowed to talk. Ooh, good call. Oh, he emailed call. and said, don't know where you guys went. Good call. Hey, let's see. Hold on one second. Server settings. Let me just uh, do this real fast. Um. Oh God. It's not in server settings. It's gonna be in this to settings here. Permissions, everyone. New channel manage channel. Make sure you speak. Connect. And video. All right, it should work now. I think I had to change the settings. I didn't even realize. Okay, hopefully it works now. Bing, 
All right, well, we'll change some settings, so hopefully that works. True. I know, I had to turn it off. I didn't want to go through all those settings with it on the screen. Hopefully it should work. Alex emailed him. If we go back to green room, is that? We can give it a whirl if it's not going to work here. I think I got the settings changed, but we'll just jump back down there. That way we know that one works. Oh, there we go. Oh, fuck. All right, well, my plan failed, but we're here. We can hear Martin again. I got some more tweaking to do. Yes, sir. Sorry about that. There I got the settings all right. We got some more tweaking to do, but that's okay. We'll figure that out next time. But anyways, um, yep. So, uh, we got your we got your welcome in. Unfortunately, Alex done clicked the wrong button and left us again. There we go. Come back, Alex. Click on the green room, Alex. Yep. Yep. There you yep, go. Yep. He's figured yep. it out. I'm working on it. Okay. There all we go. right. So I think tonight what we're going to do is we're going to start talking, start off talking about the train derailments, two that we know of that have happened over the past couple of weeks, um, and just kind of, it's going to see what uh, what your thoughts are on it uh, there, Mister Mister Keller, and uh, and it did, and we'll go from there because I think it's very suspicious that. We haven't heard hardly anything about it in the news. And that they're literally Trends just... Derailment? Yeah. we're going to talk about UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get there. We're, we're going to get there. So, And that's that's if you have any opinions on If you don't have any opinions on it, then we'll just bounce and we'll just go right into UFOs. But... Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's uh, I think it's very suspicious. We haven't heard anything about it in the news. I think, and this is where some of the UFO stuff comes in, that all of the unidentified objects that were shot down recently might have been a big distraction from what was actually happening with those. Because the government hasn't well, done anything to help to help with that whole situation. Like they're literally burning tons of toxic chemicals well, in Ohio. I've read quite a few news stories about it, so I think uh, it's a little disingenuous to say there's nothing being reported on it. Perhaps, I don't know, I haven't really seen much coverage of it in mainstream media, the big news networks. There's There's been a fair amount of coverage. I think there's been... Uh, a lot of coverage, especially if like you're on Twitter or whatever. But um, I I do think it's speaking of disingenuous. I I think most recently what has been shot down and the speculation around what's been shot down as being UFOs. And Martin, tell me if you agree or disagree with this. Um, I think it's a little disingenuous and and maybe bringing smut to the true intel or to the true UFO slash UAP phenomenon to say that what is being shot down could potentially be the true UFO in the sense from another 
planet or another galaxy. Martin, what do you what do you think about that? Maybe the the most recent shoot downs of these unidentified objects. Well, I've been following uh, the reporting on it pretty closely since I have always been interested in this subject since I was a kid, and uh, it's hard to know really what the objects were. Uh, I think pretty strongly if an ET craft of any sort whether it was a drone or or craft with occupants, if it were shot down, it would be a classified action. It wouldn't. It wouldn't announce it. So that said, I think it's probably three incidents of rather benign objects in the sky. The only thing that interests me and is is intriguing is that the one that was shot down <clears throat> in Alaska was reportedly interfering with the sensors on the plane that shot it down and that's kind of a signature of uh, of a craft interfering with uh, radar and uh, missile launching activities and but again, um, if it's some sort of intelligence, some spy apparatus in the sky from another country, I would think the more sophisticated ones would also have those jamming uh, capabilities. And it was just announced today, I think, or late yesterday, that uh, the search for those objects has now been suspended, which, you know, is going to raise more questions and provide answers. So the people who are thinking, you know, there's a, some kind of cover-up going on, it's going to feed right into that uh, mindset. Uh, my jury is still out on it. I I don't know what to make of it. I've been, uh, <laughs> I try to blog about these issues on the spacepinclub.com at least once a month, and I've been sort of withholding judgment and doing anything on that blog until I really can get uh, what I think are the facts and to make an informed opinion about this. Um, but again, there's a lot of speculation that, uh, you know, it's hard to prove one way or the other. The only thing I will say is, is, is that, you know, when Roswell happened, uh, the weather balloon story was floated, so to speak. No pun intended. Right. <laughs> almost, immediate, almost immediately. And that was the first of three stories that the government has uh, put forth over, you know, how many decades has it been since, since Roswell? I mean. Right. I which, which government uh, report are we supposed to believe? I mean, it's. I tend to believe Jesse Marcel and his son that it was the real thing. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't see uh, why it wasn't, and it's very, uh, it's all very coincidental and very timely that we just shot down a 
an alleged weather balloon from China, which you know we all know that definitely wasn't a weather balloon. And then right after that, we have two to three more instances of unidentified objects in our airspace. Martin, are you uh, are you familiar with Jeremy Corbell whatsoever, and and George Knapper, sure. either of those? No. Yeah, no. Um, their pod, their most recent podcast, kind of gave me a a new light on this. Um, my brain, when I hear unidentified flying objects and jets being scrambled um, to identify them slash potentially shoot them down, the conspiracy in my brain says yes yes this is it this is it um you know it's really happening um their take on it was very interesting in the sense that it it reeked to them in a way that it was an attempt to sort of bring smut to the uap community in the sense that they were putting out these reports as um, you know radar was scrambled and and their systems were somewhat jammed up by these um unidentified objects now like you said if and the anti no uh no visible proof of a propulsion system you know all things that are almost verbatim from these true reports um from people like you know bob lazar who supposedly i believe um is credible when he says reverse engineered systems at los alamos um commander fravor speaking of zero propulsion systems in the tic tac video that sort of thing um so it is interesting that these are the reports that we hear um are almost direct quotes from reports in the past um and if if these reports are are true and we are being told the truth then yes i i think like what you said it's very interesting and potentially exciting um it's also very interesting again that they might be using this as a way to say see these are weather balloons all along guys we found the material and these actually were balloons and oh and now we have evidence to suggest that balloons could potentially jam our radar systems um so it's again the skeptic in me with the conspiracy lover in me and and it's it's tough to know what to make of it and and i don't think i don't think we have very clear evidence right now uh clearly we don't have clear evidence right now as to what it is but it's it's intriguing to say the least so yeah i'm more interested frankly in uh the law that biden signed into office late last year as the year was closing the defense authorization act mm-hmm. which funds uh the military and the intel agencies there's a huge clause in there a whistleblower clause that allows for any witnesses to these uap ufo programs to come forward without fear of prosecution and i think that's that story has gone really un, underreported, and I don't know for whatever reason that is, but uh, to me that's a bigger and a better story than uh, shooting down objects that apparently are 
some sort of weather balloons or uh, perhaps commercial or even private, you know, balloons launched by some clubs, the club out of, where is it, Illinois or Indiana? <laughs> $12 balloon. I mean, I'll, you know, let's yeah. focus on, on more tangible things that have longer-term implications. I mean, this new cycle, of, thankfully, is almost over, and uh, I'm hoping that while it's been ongoing that we're going to uh, – we're going to see a lot of witnesses begin reporting to the new office that's set up to uh, investigate all this. Uh, the Arrow office, the, uh, I've got to look at my notes, the All Anonymy Resolution office, typical bureaucratic Washington bureaucracy <laughs> speak. Yeah. And, you know, Biden also just announced this week that the White House would set up its own uh channel to look at these and now we have you know not too many months ago nasa announced it so we've got all these arms of government looking at this issue even though this issue has been looked at at least since the 40s if not before so it's a little perplexing to square all you know if we're in a true disclosure period or if we're just having more of the sort of same uh, mush that was served year after year after year. Yeah, yeah, I, it is. Uh, it is interesting. I, on the one hand, you could say that all of it is, you know, just put together uh, to kind of appease people after they've been asking for years and years and years about whether or not the government knows if ufos uaps are real if they've had contact and then setting this up to kind of placate the masses or if it is something that is actually tangible and real and they're going to do and they're actually going to do something and share information again well if the if the government would look at its own records and its own history of of uh own generals talking about this, they would find that uh, it, it's kind of a done deal. And I'm going to read uh, from a 1947 classified mem memo that was declassified under a Freedom, Freedom of Information Act, a FOIA request several years ago. Uh, it was written by General Nathan Twining in 47 and uh he said basically that they're not of this world 74 years ago and that the phenomenon reported as something real and not visionary or fictitious and he went on to describe quote extreme rates of climb and other characteristics that precisely match the recorded capabilities of the objects that were recently uh, released in those naval footage, the so-called Tic Tac uh, videos. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's Twining speaking on the record uh, that these are real, and, you know, Americans are terrible at uh, either denying their history, ignoring it, or reinventing it. True. Mostly ignoring mostly ignoring it so i'm hoping <laughs> yeah. these 
congressional folks, Rubio, uh, Gillibrand from New York, people that put this into motion in the first place are uh, going to be passionate enough and smart enough to begin to examine the historical record at the military level and the intelligence levels and to put that out into public discussion. Aside from just trying to look for new objects, I mean... Yeah, I think... I, I think we have enough evidence and data to support that, you know, it's a real thing, and now what do we do? Amen. Yeah, no, 100%, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, Commander Fraber is not a crazy person. I believe that he, you know saw what he saw while he was out there on those sorties so well and you you not only have commander fravor but you know he's probably the most you know quote-unquote famous especially yeah, recognized you know being on the joe rogan experience and but there are many many pilots uh, mm-hmm. from the air force you know from all branches of the government who have been up there and have experienced these things and have had near miss encounters with these objects you know there i think like martin just said there's plenty of evidence to suggest you know uh, which i think uh, especially last time i'll talk about the balloons i just think it's so silly now that there's such you know like an uproar especially on social media about these balloons folks there's been evidence a lot better evidence than this, quite honestly. Um, yeah, the the Mosul 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 orb is the one of the more recent ones um, above an airspace in Afghanistan or Iraq, somewhere in the Middle was, East. It was Iraq. Yeah, um, and the United States is just completely completely silent on it you know and it it, again it just speaks to me like like you just said martin there is plenty of evidence out there to suggest that what we're working with is not you know made up and yes this specific topic tends to draw in you know a lot of the the crazies of the world for whatever reason just like you know the bigfoot communities and the loch ness monster you know people group it all into that but let's set all that aside and just look at the distinct evidence that we have and i think that there's plenty there to suggest that not only is this a a a real thing that we're dealing with but what do we do about it and and how do we open up these discussions could you speak to more about the was it the arrow program that you called it oh that's a new office that was set up okay and that's What's the specific function of that? I'm sorry, I kind of missed that. Could you touch on that again? Investigate uh, this whole phenomenon. I want to go back, though, and just say, I think it was pilot Ryan Graves, who now has his own podcast. Uh, I think he told 60 Minutes that, you know, his fellow pilots were seeing these objects like the Tic Tacs out over the Atlantic on a daily basis. So... Yeah. That's that's a pretty startling admission. Now, those could be classified intelligence drones or some other technology that's not in the public domain yet that uh, mm-hmm. 
that the pilots may not even be aware of. So, I mean, there's, you know, there's so many layers to this. It gets tiring trying to peel that onion, but... Yeah. Um, the fact that uh, the Pentagon had a secret study uh, from 2010 to, I believe... I mean, uh, 2007 to 2010 that was run by Lou Elizondo, who's sort of out of the UFO closet now, uh, that made the front page of the New York Times in December of 2017, never once used the term conspiracy theorist or conspiracy. That was a huge watershed moment, and I think it's... it's uh, taking the blinders off a lot of people who are finally maybe realizing this is something we have to address. It's a, it's a, um, it's a commercial aircraft, potentially commercial aircraft, uh, endangerment. These things are flying around in our airspace without any sort of, uh, uh, you know, filed. Right, no flight program, plan. You no know, air air flight program, if you will. Right. So, yeah. I, I mean, there's just so much we could talk about. And I get into that in my book quite a bit. The last two chapters of the Space Pink Club are really about disclosure, including the one disclosure effort I was involved in in 1967 with Dr. Stephen Greer's Organization Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence, otherwise known as C-SETI. And we had some pretty reliable witnesses from the military at that event, and then Greer subsequently held his 2001 National Press Club disclosure event, which had numerous witnesses. I wasn't involved with the organization at that point, but I sure as hell followed what was being uh, presented uh, in Washington. Yeah, Stephen Stephen Greer's a, as well as you are are very respected member of this community and um well it depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> Greer, Greer, Greer is one of the most polarizing figures in the UFO community. And, uh, you know, people love to hate on him. Uh, other people think uh, he can do no wrong. And the truth is he's an easy target. And, you know, I, I met him in the early 90s, and I worked with him on a pro bono basis as his communications guy through the late 90s and uh, have followed his work, obviously, ever since, but I have not been in touch with him. Uh, he's very polarizing. He was something of a pariah even when it, he was just starting out. Just as he said he was just getting off the ground in 1991 or so. But uh, he's a brilliant man, and his intentions are good. And uh, all these other, all this other garbage that's thrown at him, as well as all of the over-the-top act. Uh, Accolades. Praise, you know, it, it's, it's neither one of those uh, serves the purpose of getting at the truth or at getting at a disclosure, true disclosure moment. I mean, 
personally, I think we're not going to have real disclosure until whoever's these visitors are present themselves in some formal fashion to world right. governments. I mean, that's that's my take. I mean, you can talk disclosure yeah. all day long, but it has to be a it has to be a a, a bilateral uh, disclosure. Yeah, I don't feel that the government would ever one hundred percent fully disclose whether they've had contact or any anything that would potentially lead to either mass panic or making them look goofy. Well, the biggest threat is to industry, to the ener mm -hmm. energy industry, oil, and. Um, Obviously, the technology these things possess would eliminate the need for oil. Right. Eliminate the need for an electrical grid like the one we have now. I mean, it's the implications are pretty dramatic. And uh, I get into that in my book and, and on my blog occasionally on the book's website, thespacepenclub.com. So, you know, it's a... Uh, it's the kind of multifaceted issue that uh, is hard to take in. No, and there's not a lot of critical thinking around it. No. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. Um, so you would you would say that, I guess, one of the layers of this onion would be that, like, uh, <laughs> big oil and oil companies are, are would be lobbying or pushing for the government to not disclose anything if they knew in order to keep their livelihood afloat? Well, sure. I mean, the oil companies were finding out uh, now for decades went out of their way to uh, deny that uh, fossil fuels were causing a climate crisis, mm -hmm. even though their, their own studies proved it, you know, back yeah. in the 70s. Heck? All that stuff will be litigated now. It's going to take years, but uh, yeah. I'm well, they hired say, the same lawyers that Big Tobacco did. Well, Big Tobacco ended up paying a pretty big price, and I think a lot of people who are tired of the way the fossil fuel industry has behaved and endangered the planet and mm -hmm. its environments, uh, you know, a lot of people would like to see them taken down. Right. Well, and, and not only would those companies, you know, obviously lobby for, you know, if the government did have some sort of information about these propulsion systems um, or just the energy systems as a whole, you know, you, you start looking at, at things such as the, the stock market, you know, the financial economy. I mean, there's there's a lot of ripples that this would send through, you know, life as we know it, it just as a whole. And uh, largely, I think, for the better, if we did have, um, you know, access to this knowledge. But, you know, that's up for speculation, I suppose. Well, I think the knowledge is, is well covered under all the veils and layers of secrecy that that. Uh, our government and other governments have worldwide. I mean, this isn't just a phenomenon that's common to the United States. It's these things are spotted all over the world. Mm -hmm. 
Oh yeah, I mean, like like we just spoke about the Mosul orb. You know, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, but yeah, this this definitely isn't an anomaly that's just you know centralized in in America. It's it's a global global phenomenon. Right. Uh, I, yeah. I do have a question speaking about secrecy and technology and members of the community. Um, what, what's your take on um, Bob Lazar and, and his story and um, his whole encounter? Well, that's a good question, and I wish I could give you a good answer, but I don't have one. <laughs> I, I know that, that Bob Lazar's story has been around for quite a while. I, I know that a lot of people have uh, debunked it in the UFO community, and I know a lot of people have upheld it in the UFO community. But, you know, when people like Stanton Friedman, the late great Stanton Friedman from Canada, uh, does a little research and, and isn't able to find a, a paper, tra paper trail back to Lazar's academic uh, claims, I... I grow a little uneasy. Uh, I actually had a chance to meet him once in California, and I blew it off. Yeah. Because I was... Man. Uh, I was with uh, Paul Krasner, the, uh, one of the original yippies from the 60s, who is also the, the father of the underground press in America. Mm. And I was doing an interview with him for Rolling Stone magazine, and I I ended up <laughs> overstaying my time there. Paul was in <laughs> Venice, and Lazar and the woman, his friend who invited me to meet him, you know, was several suburbs away, and it was rush hour. I just said, "The hell with it! I'm not I'm not going <laughs> to make an attempt." Uh, LA traffic will get you every time. Yeah, well, <laughs> I probably blew a good chance to, uh, you know, ask Bob my own questions about what he knew or didn't mm -hmm. know. But again, you know, there's another pol polarizing figure in what Steve Greer always famously called the UFO ghetto, which <laughs> is a term that still cracks me up uh, 20 some years later. Yeah, that's a that's a it's a good it's a good name for it. Yeah, Bob Lazar his story is so it's so interesting. Uh and it's equally as interesting that there's just no trail anywhere. Well, just if, everything just disappeared like he never existed. If you ask him and he's one of uh I've always been interested in this topic going back to when I was a child and my mother has a, a strong um, interest in this topic as well. Going back to some missing time she had when she was a child that she can't specifically, you know, say, well, that's directly, you know, I, I was abducted, but at the same time can't say, well, you know, that was just a completely normal time in my life. You know, there's a stretch of missing time where she was playing in the woods, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. We don't have to get into that right now. But um, mm -hmm. Lazar has always been so intriguing to me, A, because his story has stayed so continuous throughout the entire time of him telling it, and the fact that, you know, he he doesn't really like to talk about it and according to him, has never profited from his story as well, which 
are, are two things for me that it's just very intriguing and I'm inclined to believe his story. Now, like you said, there's, there's a lot of folks out there who would debunk or, or say that, um, that what he's saying is just patently false. Um, I'm inclined to believe what, what he has to say about the topic. Um, it, it all kind of aligns and makes sense to me, but you know, I also don't have a crystal ball to be able to say whether he's he's telling the truth or not. You know, so very, well, very fascinating. So many, there's so many characters like Lazar, and there's so many ideas uh, around this. There's so many memes and themes mm-hmm. and um, different narratives. You know. I'm an English major. I love a good story. I tell you, this story has so many tentacles. I wouldn't know where to start to get to the one that, you know, that... Uh, that leads back to the monster. That reveals, that, yeah, that that leads you to the real deal. And and I don't know in my lifetime if, if I'm ever going to see that. But uh, certainly right now we're at a place none of us thought we would be at five or six years ago, maybe even three years ago. That's true, yeah. I did not ever foresee the government open be, openly being like, yeah, yeah, we know about this, and we've definitely had contact. Like, <laughs> hold up, wait, what? A little side note, Martin, my mother is currently listening right now, and she's very excited for this interview tonight, so she, she wanted... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, her yeah. her story was she was playing in the woods as a child. She went out in the morning, um, came back what she believed, you know, was an hour or so later for, you know, lunchtime. And it was actually dinner time. And her mom was like, you know, where have you been all day? And she had this mysterious uh, cut on her leg. And uh, it, it goes a lot deeper than that. I, I wouldn't do it a service by by trying to tell it. She'd have to tell it sometime. But. Um, that yeah, from a, a lot of stories like your mother's out there. I have a close friend who's also kind of a rock and roll star here in the Twin Cities, Curtis A., who's in the book several times. Uh, he has a really great so-called abduction story. I like to think of it as a close encounter of the fourth kind. Um, and, you know, he's got the alleged cut in the shin, etc. Chapter three of the Space Pen Club is devoted almost exclusively to the abduction discussion. And, uh, you know, if anything, I would obviously encourage people like your mother and you guys to read my book and uh, and then to start doing your own research. There's another book by uh, a couple that was written about alleged military staged abductions which would be part of the black world that surrounds this issue and the secrecy, <clears throat> sort of a prolonged psyop, if you will, mm-hmm. where, you know, these things are, are fake abductions used to pollute the public discussion about uh, the whole issue and to create a fear factor that will keep the military-industrial complex rolling in trillions of dollars annually in 
in defense budgets around the world everywhere uh into the next century so yeah it would not surprise me if that had play if that plays a factor which i mean it i'm not saying it doesn't it probably did they definitely the the government has been well known to to fearmonger the populace into getting more money for defense spending so yeah, any excuse a, to keep that budget pumping that's a topic i'm not gonna that's a topic for me for another day because if i get riled <laughs> up about that that's all uh, yeah yeah anyway. we'll stop talking about ufos yeah. and alex will start berating <laughs> the government from omaha nebraska <laughs> about their defense military is, budget spending is the strategic air command in omaha it sure is off at air force base yeah places yep. a dumpster fire of a base Oh, I, I just, I just I refereed basketball, refereed basketball games with a gentleman who worked at Offutt Air Force Base for a long time in in the command center, and uh, yeah. Anyway, that's like, I, there's a lot of stories about that. Um, I would imagine the senior and retired uh, flag officers at that base probably know quite a bit about this, but we'll never be able to talk about it. Although say. now. With this whistleblower protection in place, maybe some of them will come out of the closet and uh, help burst this dam. I'd be interested to hear their stories. I would indeed. I did put in to try and go to Offit as one of my next bases to go to, but unfortunately for my career field, that is all run by civilians over there, so there is no shot that I'll be going to Offit, Nebraska. What else um, would you guys like to know? I did have another question, um, especially surrounding abductions. Um, and I apologize if this is in your book. I can assure you that I will be reading that after this discussion. Um, but the the Travis Walton story is another story that's always intrigued me. Um, thoughts, opinions on his story? Um, true not Sorry. true um what what are your thoughts on the travis walton story well, i'm kind of a fan of the travis walton story i uh still haven't read his book but i, I intend to at some point in the not too distant future but um i saw the movie i uh i think it's pretty compelling the fact that the was it four or five friends that were with him when the event occurred? Uh, all passed the their lie detector test. I mean, that's that's pretty good in my book. That scores some points. Well, it seems like a like a you know salt of the earth, down to earth kind of guy who you know obviously isn't gonna uh, make millions of dollars off his story, although I'm sure he made a little bit of money when he sold the rights to the book to be made into a film. But that said, uh, that's one of the uh, close encounter cases that I, I really think probably is the real thing. And um, it's got all the right elements. It's got wit witnesses. It's got uh, law enforcement <laughs> involvement. And it's got the terrifying tale that Travis presents. I'm I'm really glad to hear you say that because that's probably my 
favorite is maybe the word to use or most compelling case i think of an of an abduction story um you know the fact that his friends or coworkers friends whatever you want to call them go back into town and say we saw a craft and our friend went towards it and it blasted him and we left and then we came back and he's gone and then the sheriff says okay yeah uh, we're locking all of you guys up for murder um <laughs> you know and then they go out with the the scent dogs and they can't find hide nor hair of this guy for five and a half days and then all of a sudden he's back you know where where would he have gone you know i mean it, it's not just, like just disappeared at thin air i mean there was a manhunt out there for this guy you know so where was he well, and according to him, we know where he was, you know, so it's it's a very intriguing, compelling, I think the Betty and Barney Hill is another great one. Um, yeah, and, that's that's kind of the first uh, so-called abduction story that actually made it into mainstream media back in the uh, 60s. And just a side note on that story, the Obamas are going to produce a new film about that case no way which is, which is interesting i mean i think it's pretty smart on their part because this topic has never been more in vogue than it is right now and uh you know it's a it's a biracial couple they obviously suffered some sort of traumatic uh after effects from this mm -hmm. i was in new york city one time um and this is in the book too. And I, I went to a presentation by Betty Hill's uh, niece, Kathy Marsden. I think I don't have her my notes on her in front of me, but um, it was at a uh, UFO organization meeting not too far off of Times Square, and Bud Hopkins was involved. Leslie Kane, who wrote the co-wrote the New York Times uh, front page story in December 2017, she was there, um, and Betty's niece played some of the tapes from the hip hypnosis session, and they were... Uh, uh they were very unsettling i think is the word i, I want to mm. use yeah interesting so that i think that'll be a good that'll be a good netflix i think it's gonna either gonna be a series or a film probably and, be a docu-series uh, knowing netflix couldn't have asked for better timing in terms of public interest in this true true i i just I, saw yeah something on social media about them producing that and i i'm very excited for that and i i'd love to i'm very interested i would have been that, there no. to hear those tapes because um that's speaking of my mother again she actually just commented and said i was afraid of my own shadow because of them um but yeah it was you know in, intriguing and uh i can't wait for that to come out either especially the whole interracial couple aspect of of the story and how it was so polarizing and um i wonder if... and then you have you have the whitley streber communion story which you know just about everybody in the 
UFO community is aware of by now. Uh, that was a book and film, and uh, Strieber still talks about it. And, you know, it, it's apparent that this was a life-changing event for him, too. Yeah. That Betty and Barney, Travis Walton, and the um, the two schools, one in Africa yeah, and the, the other... One. Where was the other one? Is it... I'm sure Martin knows. Was it all... I think it was someplace in Zimbabwe. Yeah, it was yes. one in Zimbabwe, and then there was another one where they abducted us. Like years later, they abducted or visited the kids at this other school, um, like continents away. I don't remember where there's it was. A, there's a relatively new film about that. Yeah, um, African school children. Uh, I forget what it's called, but. I haven't watched it yet. I mean, I've followed that case since it was first reported in the in the media. And, you know, John Mack flew down there and interrogated all the kids and the school teachers. And, uh, you know, it got a lot of uh, interest. And I think there was some fairly solid research done on it. But, uh, you know, another... Put it in the tinfoil file, as I call it in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And the the message communicated to them, the fact that technology would be what would destroy our civilization, that, to me, just really brings it all home and gives me the shivers down the spine. Like, oh my gosh, this... I, I don't know what their, what their MO is or, or why, you know, the interest is here. Um... But it's we all killed ourselves in the forties with nukes. Well, that's still have that potential. I mean, exactly. Russia's been doing a lot of nuclear saber rattling ever since yeah. they rolled into Ukraine. You know, that's a year old now. And yep, because uh, they're getting their ass kicked. You know, Danny Sheehan, the public interest, uh, public policy lawyer who was involved in the Pentagon paper release and. Karen Silkwood, Iran-Contra, so many really high-profile cases um, where the government is challenged on on uh, what it did to interfere in all these all these uh, people's lives, and uh, Sheehan has has been interested in this subject for a long, long time, which I was shocked to find out. I met him at a Nevada UFO convention event one year, and I kind of recruited him for uh, Steve Greer's organization when we were just starting our disclosure process because his thinking pretty much mirrored uh, Greer's, you know, like that the government's never going to come clean on this. We need to, citizens need to do it themselves. We can build a big enough case for it, et cetera, et cetera. Well, <laughs> Uh, in June of 2021, right before the government report dropped the whole nine pages of it, first report from this office, new office, uh, Sheehan was on a uh, a podcast that I listen to occasionally, uh, 
from Canada out of Winnipeg, uh, Grant Cameron's podcast. And they were having a kind of a roundtable discussion. And, you know, the big question was, well, why is all of this disclosure talk and all this government activity with setting up offices and establishing new sensors on on uh, aircraft and so on why is it happening now and, you know as that discussion evolved that evening you know i think sheehan did a nice job of framing it he said when you look at the bona fide close encounter cases that can't be dismissed out of hand that has have reliable witnesses who interacted with uh et's the general message from them every time is you need to get rid of your nuclear weapons because they're a threat not just to you and your planet but they're a threat to us in space and you need to take better care of your environment because it's collapsing well that resonates pretty highly with me and you know the un two years ago issued a code red with its annual report on climate crisis and the overheating of the planet. So, you know, we're in kind of deep water these days. And uh, if the ETs are surveilling us and warning certain individuals about, you know, why they are and what we need to do, I, I think it's imperative that we, you know, we stop and reconsider uh, all the various nefarious things that go on in the world. And, that uh, we stop polluting the environment, we reduce significantly our use of fossil fuels, and we finally get rid of the nuclear stockpiles of all the superpowers. I mean, that would be a start, I think, to a, a sane, sustainable planetary existence. Amen. I, I could not have said it any better myself and i i don't think it's an extreme coincidence that the reported the number of reported ufo sightings and cases saw an extreme uptick post the first nuclear bomb being detonated you know yeah. I, I think i think the fact that those two coincide as as well as they do leads you know and along with all of the other evidence that we have i i think that there's a strong case to be made there that you know whether it is some sort of um you know it whether it will affect you know space life or space whatever you want to call it um or it's more of a humanitarian effort if you want to call it that as well you know to where they're watching the chimps on a rock saying hey we better get down there before these guys destroy themselves um or it's you know going to have impact on them as well whatever the case may be i i think that there's a strong connection there and um it's time that we wake up and we start taking better care of ourselves and the planet you know um or else we might find ourselves in water too deep to, to swim out of. So yeah, well, we're almost there, I think. Uh, chapter four in the Space Pen Club book uh, revisits the incident in Minot, North Dakota, which is only 100 miles from where I grew up out in western Dakota and uh, at the Minot Air Force Base in uh, 
it's 68 or 66 i always confuse the date but um i i uh repeat some of the information that a friend of mine here in minneapolis has spent a couple of years compiling of uh what happened at the air force base one night when uh an object came over the base and it was witnessed by airmen on the ground and a a team of airmen up in a in a plane returning from a normal you know nightly run and you know they had it on radar they had visual uh lock on with it and uh this thing uh scared the hell out of the people on the ground and it also uh, was able to move this 20 ton concrete block off of a missile silo <laughs> and scramble the codes it's it's a highly researched well-written report you can find it online just google uh Minot air force base incident and uh, the whole reports there i excerpt some of it in my book in chapter four but and then robert hastings has an entire book about uh incursions at other uh nuclear uh bases including the, probably the most famous is maelstrom in montana yeah. and then robert salas uh, who is stationed at Maelstrom has been making quite a bit of noise about uh, these efforts and is is trying to get uh, the congressional folks that are driving these current new offices to research and investigate uh, the phenomena. He's trying to uh, make some inroads there with with his own testimony and that of other uh military folks who witnessed some of these incidents so again kind of exciting times but also very confused confusing you know and when i wrote this book i, I said a couple times in it i said you know this is my farewell to ufology because I'm, I'm tired of it never going anywhere and you know, <laughs> after this I'm, I'm done and yet here i am you know, a year and a half after the book was published, I'm still writing about it on my blog. There's a Facebook group you can join called the Space Pen Club. A lot of people post interesting stuff there, and I post my blog there when I write it. And other news stories that I think are of interest to that group. So, you know, I've never been more involved in it. And uh, I have other things I want to write. I, I'm, you know, kind of tired of the subject, but it uh, it won't leave me alone. <laughs> you're stuck with I'm, it, Martin. I don't think I don't think you're ever going to get away from it. I'm a I'm a member of the Space Pen Club on Facebook. I'd like to probably say, um, and there is a lot of interesting things on there. And you know, you've been doing this so when you're dedicated to it you know i'm just a fan of it and um you know a a nighttime stalker of the internet webs trying to find stuff on this um and, but even i have a certain level of frustration of you know anxiousness of okay well when is this when are we going to get something you know when's the substantial stuff when are the answers going to come and it just doesn't seem like they have or you know the the pessimistic side kicks in and says well will they ever you know how how do you keep 
going you know what what drives you is it just your your interest in the subject or do you feel like you have a you know like a like an obligation to the subject or what what keeps you going at the end of the day well i'm kind of a news junkie to begin with so i read a lot of different news uh, offline and online and um i uh again i i think we're not going to have any truly pronounced forward movement until wherever these visitor, visitors are, these unknowns, the OVNIs, as the, as the Mexican media calls them, um, which has been reporting on them for years. I mean, if you want to see UFOs, go to the volcano zone of uh, Mexico and uh, the Caribbean side of uh, you know, Tulum and into the Yucatan. You're going to see objects down there. I, I've had several sightings down there, including one with one of Greer's uh, investigative teams in the volcano zone. Uh, but we're not going to have a true disclosure moment or, or shift until, you know, the visitors really come forward. I mean, I think you can put all the evidence and testimony video etc etc on the table and people are still going to go ah show me show me more i don't know what it's going to take i don't know either and it's funny you say that i grew up in south texas on the mexico border and any uh potential sightings that i've had you know obviously nothing completely substantiated but you know very interesting things in the sky i'll put it that way um the activity down there i think was very interesting to say the least and my brother had an encounter um actually on south padre island <laughs> with, a, with a craft over the water we interviewed him on our podcast about it and Obviously, he's someone I trust. I, I trust him potentially more than anybody in the world, um, being a close family member and and my best friend. And uh, his story is very, very intriguing and and very interesting and um, something I. In fact, he he and a friend went to go walk on the beach that night and asked me if I wanted to go with. And it was about eleven thirty, and I said, "No, I'm just going to go to bed." And then that walk on the beach is when they saw it. And I still kick myself for why didn't I go on that stupid walk? I should have went with them because yeah, very interesting, intriguing story about the craft he saw. So, yeah, well, when my book came out, I discovered if, you know, people would uh, that I haven't communicated with in years kind of came out of the woodwork and go, oh, I got to tell you about my UFO story. Yeah. <laughs> Invariably, when you, meet strangers or friends and somebody somebody will have a ufo story in their back pocket or an abduction tale or whatever i mean it's again it's it's widespread um will we ever get to the point of understanding what it's all about i don't know i mean i gotta i gotta head out of here pretty quickly but i mean i and this is one of my favorite quotes from the Space Pen Club, and this is kind of where I like to leave things because I think it really sums up uh, the big picture, the big picture known and unknown. 
It was said almost a hundred years ago by J.B.S. Haldane, a British geneticist and evolutionary biologist. He said the universe is not only stranger than we suppose, but it's stranger than we can suppose. And I think that is exactly right on. So that's where I fold up my tent and go home. <laughs> well, Martin, we appreciate you taking the time uh, to sit on our humble podcast and talk with us. Yeah, and if you want to buy the book, the best way uh, is to go to Amazon and just buy it there. Perfect. Uh, you can also go to the book's website, thespacepenclub.com. And there's a uh, there's a link to Amazon on there, and then there's some good background information and some really terrific reviews and endorsements of the book, including one from uh, from uh, Dan Aykroyd, who's been into the subject as long as all of us put together. Uh, I was very lucky to get that and uh, check it out. We'll do I... that for sure. I can tell you I will be ordering my copy this evening. And before you head out, I want to give you a sincere thank you, you know, not just for because that's what podcast hosts are supposed to do for their guests. You know, <laughs> thanks for coming. But sincere thank you for, for being here this night and sharing your story. Um, it, it's been a lot of fun and, and I appreciate it greatly. Yeah, well, thank you for having me and uh, keep up the good work and watch the skies. Yeah, always. All right. <laughs> Mr. Martin Keller, everybody, thank you once again, sir. Thank you. Have a good evening. All right, you, yeah, too. you too. Thank you. All right, Chad. Very interesting conversation with uh, Mr. Martin Keller this evening. How stinking fun was that? It's a good time. That was Definitely, awesome. Uh, out of the wheelhouse of uh, our normal podcast, but that's what we're trying to transition to, right? We're trying to trying to get into those kind of out there subjects and really just embrace the what in the world name. Well, and I have a couple other guests lined up as well. Um, let them hear it. I, Shoot, I've let them hear. Let me to... hear it. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I've got a guy that. Uh... I think his book is Selling Dead People's Stuff or something like that. He uh, He's an antique guy, and I, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I found this platform to where basically podcasts, people who want to be on podcasts, uh, it's like podcastguest.com or something like that. I found it on Facebook. <laughs> um, but it's been a really great uh, platform so far. In fact, that other gentleman I emailed... Um, he was like, shoot, do you guys have somebody lined up for tonight? I'm like, yeah, actually yeah. we do. But um, but yeah, we'll have some other guests on. And man, when he started talking about Stephen Greer and the fact that he's worked with Stephen Greer, I'm like, golly, this guy. He's He's been at it a long time, and he, he definitely knows what he's talking about. Um, and there's so much smut on the Travis Walton story. Um, so many people have tried to debunk that. I was really afraid he was going to be like, yeah, the Travis Walton story just doesn't hold up to the test of time for me. And I was going to be like, dang Fuck. it, man, that's my favorite one. That's the one that I point to all the time. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that, that, oh, that was, that was awesome, man. I, that's cool. He did talk I, about I hope... my, uh, my favorite 
UFO story is well, kinda is the the Minot and a Maelstrom one, but yeah, he didn't get into too much on it. But yeah, this the same kind of thing happened at the base in Russia where they actually started launching the missiles and then shut it all down, and the Russians were freaking out because they're like, "Oh fuck, we're about to get blamed for a nuclear war." Yeah, well, that there's been a few encounters to where, uh, and I think it was the one in Montana he was talking Maelstrom. about where. Yeah, where they had the encounter with the craft and it shut down all of their nuclear codes. So even if mm -hmm. they wanted to be able to launch a nuclear weapon, they wouldn't have been able to because all of their systems were locked up. Yeah. Which is an egregious act of war. If... Which is why the aliens are scared that we're going to nuke them into oblivion in space. Yeah. Uh, and again, I don't I don't know why, what their motive is, if, if it's a... If it's a humanitarian aspect, like I said before, you know, if they've been watching the monkeys on the rock and now they're like, oh, crap, they're about to destroy themselves if we don't get involved in this. Or if it's some sort of impact we would cause to their realm of existence. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I think maybe maybe it could be that they're actually looking out for their little experiment down here or maybe maybe they foresee us finally setting our differences aside like you see in all the alien movies where the world comes together and acts as one fucking population to repel a perceived threat from space you know, or maybe they're scared that we do what we did in avatar which that movie's trash by the way but maybe we they're scared we just eventually get to the point where we can travel the cosmos and just start nuking alien planets into oblivion i uh I heard a, a theory, and I can't. I've been listening to so much this week in, in leading up because I wanted to make sure I had all my questions for Martin, all my ducks in a row. And I'll probably think of one as soon as we get down and be like, oh no, why didn't I ask him about that? Um, but it was a theory in the sense of maybe the true progress of a society comes when a civilization a, a humanity as one can progress <laughs> forward together because if if you think about what we think is progression right now you know especially in like the technological sense it's okay what's the newest iphone you know what's what's the latest technology what's oh i gotta have the nicest car or you know i gotta be better than this guy or it, it's it's a lot of you know competition in the sense of i need to get a one up on on this person or my company has to be better than this company by having the newest latest and greatest what if our true progression as humanity comes when we put all of that aside and and truly look out for one another and and truly progress as as a one being and a one entity instead of fucking launching nukes into an ocean as an act of, you know, flexing your muscles when Ukraine is being invaded by, you know, all that petty bullshit, you know, yeah. what, what that'll if, be the day that utopia is achieved. What if there's truly another being out there that's like wait a minute these guys are are out for themselves like this civilization like these little monkeys on this rock are just out there throwing shit at each other and just trying to be the strongest ape on the planet you know like 
what are they doing down there? We got to help them out a little bit, you know? I, I don't know. <laughs> Apes I don't know together what it is, strong. But... It's like we say all the time, just be good to people, you know? Just we have a sign on our wall in our house that says work hard and be nice to people and I think more of that would go a long way, you know. It's true. True indeed, true and real. All right, chat. Well, with that, I think we're going to call it tonight cuz I'm mad hungry. Next week we are normal, just the both of us. Yes, yeah, just the two of us, and the week after. Uh, next week. Let's see. Hold on. Let me look at my Pull calendar, calendar here. So today's so next week is the twenty sixth. The week after that, the fifth is when our next one's on, right? Yes, the fifth is when we have the. To do that sells dud people stuff. Um, yes, that is Dwayne Cerny. Okay, his book is selling dead people's things, and um, potentially next week. I'm not sure what. Um, Graham's. Scott Graham Stevens um, is another gentleman that I'm lining up right now. He has spent 261 days in silent meditation. He has 15 books published, 1,600 days spent sleeping outside, 11 tough mutter competitions. Damn, so dude kind of a badass ordained minister he's a college instructor licensed substance abuse counselor rostered psychotherapist yeah he's got a he's got quite the list of accolades so i might be able to line him up for next week but we're just right. i'm gonna keep on looking for guests and uh God damn it. maybe someday um we'll be able to have martin back on again if things progress more so we're just going to keep on keeping on, brother. Keep on keeping on. All right, y'all. You guys have a good night and a great week, and we will see you next week. If you're off tomorrow, enjoy it. I'm off tomorrow. I'm going to play golf my first round of the season. Good for you. And, uh, yeah, but uh, with that, as always, tell somebody you love them. Make sure you tell somebody you love them and keep your eyes on the skies, friends. See you guys. Love you. Love you guys. Shh.